Good morning. Would you all please stand as we read God's word? Our first passage is Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And now Matthew 25, 31 to 36. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is the word of the Lord. your word for us to be able to uh, to hear it and to be taught by it. And so now we ask as we spend time looking at these two passages that you would speak to us about your son Jesus and what he has done for us in us and what he does through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've been working our way through this uh, topical series for Advent where we are looking at different passages of scripture that talk to us about some aspect of Jesus's becoming man. The, the term that we use to talk about Jesus's, Jesus becoming a man is incarnation. Uh, so that word, if you're familiar with Spanish at all, you know that the word carne is flesh. And so incarnation, incarnation is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh. Uh, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5. And there we saw that Jesus is made sin for us. And the focus there really was on Jesus being made sin for us by dying on the cross, his crucifixion. Uh, We looked then at 2 Corinthians 8, and we talked about Jesus. He was rich. Though he was rich, he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Uh, And what we saw there was that Jesus' poverty was not by subtraction. It was by addition. It was by him taking on a human nature, and that human nature ultimately led him to the cross. Uh, then uh, uh, Bill last week preached for us from Philippians 2 about Jesus being made a servant for us. Uh, and we saw in that passage that Jesus as a servant becomes obedient to the point of death on a cross. And so the passages that we've looked at this morning all focus on the crucifixion, all the passages that we've looked at up until this morning all focus on the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, What we're going to do this morning is we're still going to talk about the crucifixion, but the focus is on the second half of Jesus's work. Uh, We can divide the work of Jesus into two sections, his work as a human being. Uh, Bill actually used one term for that, the, the humiliation of Jesus is his becoming a man, his living an earthly life, his dying on the cross. 
The second part of that work is called the exaltation of Jesus. And the exaltation of Jesus is the resurrection, the ascension, his being seated on the throne, and him coming again as judge. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on that aspect of Jesus's life and ministry. And we're going to do that using this familiar uh, framework that I've been doing over the course of this series. So the key point, the main thing that I want to get across for us today is that Jesus shares with us the inheritance he gets from the Father so that we can display the kingdom of God to the world. Jesus shares with us the inheritance he gets from the Father so that we can share, we can display the kingdom of God to the world. So here are three points. Jesus is made heir of all things for us. Jesus works in us to become heirs of God and his kingdom. And then finally, Jesus works through us to show the world the beauty of the kingdom we have inherited. Jesus is made heir for us. Uh, In us, he works to create us, make us heirs of God and his kingdom. And then through us, he works to show the beauty of the kingdom that we have inherited. All right, so the first point. Hebrews has one point. The book of Hebrews has one point. Jesus is awesome. Uh, The supremacy of Jesus over everything. If you want to know the book of Hebrews, that's what it's about. And the author, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but the author of Hebrews wastes no time making that point. We read in verse two, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also, he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's just the first paragraph of the book. And the book continues talking about how amazing and wonderful and superior Jesus is to everything that preceded him. And here what we learn is really fascinating thing is that Jesus is made the heir of everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everything in the universe, Jesus is king. Now, what we see here in the Hebrews passage is the, the um, how Jesus, or excuse me, not how, uh, when Jesus becomes heir of all things and why Jesus becomes heir of all things. So the when. Uh, Go back with me to the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So Jesus is baptized, and then what happens? Anybody? He goes into the wilderness, right? The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness in order to be tempted. Does anyone remember what the last temptation Jesus faces in the wilderness was? No, that's not not that one. That's the second one, all right? he, He goes up to a mountain. The devil takes him up to a mountain and says, Worship me, and this will all be yours. And he shows them all the kingdoms of the earth. And, and really what he's doing there is he's playing off of Psalm 2. Psalm 2, this, uh, this wonderful psalm, messianic psalm that says, ask of me, this is the, the God speaking to this Davidic king, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Hold on to that word, okay? And so the devil's saying, is like, hey, worship me and I will make the nations your inheritance, The devil's offering Jesus a shortcut, a way around the cross in order for him to get the inheritance that was his. Now, does Jesus take the shortcut? No, he doesn't take the shortcut. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God 
and serve him only. Jesus doesn't take the shortcut, but what does he do? The passage tells us after he made purification for sin, this is liturgical, this is priestly language, this is sacrificial language talking about Jesus's role as priest. Uh, and, and in his role as priest, he, he dies on the cross, he's priest and sacrifice, uh, and he makes purification for sin. And then we read that what? He rises again from the dead, he ascends to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God. That is his, his coronation. Jesus is king. He is king over everything, all things. This is why last week's passage, uh, Philippians 2, we read that at the name of Jesus, every knee will buy where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is why in Philippians, not Philippians, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 1.10, we read that, that God is bringing everything in heaven and on earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. Jesus is king. And so when Jesus ascends to heaven, he goes up to heaven in Luke 24 and Acts 1, we read about this, and he gets to heaven and there's this huge coronation and he sits on the throne. And at that moment, he is made heir of all things at his coronation. That's amazing. Okay. So Jesus is made heir of all things at his coronation, but Jesus is also made heir of all things because it was his divine right as the second person of the Trinity, right? Who is Jesus? Look at with me to verse, uh, the first half of verse three, if you have your Bible open. There are three words. If you're the kind of person that likes to highlight and write in your Bible, uh, these are three words worth highlighting and noting. This is who Jesus is. In verse two, we're told that he is the creator. And then in verse three, we read this. The son is the radiance of God's glory, he is the exact representation of God's being, and he, is the, he sustains everything by his powerful word. Jesus is God in his glory. Jesus is God in his being. Jesus is God in his actions as, crea as creator and sustainer. That is an amen, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus is heir of all things because it is his divine right as the second person of the Trinity to be made heir of all things. There is in one of the ancient creeds of the church, it's called the Nicene Creed. It was written uh, in 325 AD in response to a, a big church meeting that was held in the city of Nicaea, hence the, the word Nicene Creed. It's a creed that comes out of Nicaea. And in that creed, we read this. Jesus is God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence with the Father, right? Jesus doesn't need to cut corners. Jesus doesn't need to cut corners because it was his by right. It was his, but it's his by right through the cross, right? Jesus doesn't get to the throne aside from the cross. That's what the devil offered him. And he says, that's not the way to the, that's not the, way to the throne. That's Jesus becoming heir of all things for us, so then how does he do that in us? What's the work of Jesus in us in order for us to become heirs of God and his kingdom? There is no shortage of passages that we could go to uh, to help us see 
what it means for us to be made heirs. But one of my favorites is in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 starts off with this uh, really long sentence. Chapter 1, verse 3, down to verse 14, is one sentence. Uh, it's 257 words, okay? Uh, and, and there's this, um, you know, you go to the waves and you kind of see, you go to the ocean and you see like the waves as they're like beginning to, they're beginning to take motion. They get larger and larger and larger and then they crash. This, this first part of Ephesians has that kind of power and feel. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's just the beginning. And then he goes on to list all of the different blessings. In him you were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the, uh, who the first to believe in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then he, 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 right in the middle of this kind of crescendo of praise, he says, we've been adopted to sonship. Now that word is important. Um, we've been adopted into a unique position in relationship to God. Uh, you remember Harry Potter fans? Harry Potter? All right. So um, remember in the first book, we're, we're introduced to Harry Potter, and we, we immediately can realize that his aunt and uncle, who are his guardians, uh, it's not even that they don't love him. They don't like him, Right. Uh, and, and there's this one little thing that really just kind of, this one little touch that just really hammers that home. Do you remember the envelope that arrives to announcing to Harry Potter that he's been accepted in the Hogwarts School of, of Witchcraft, Witchcraft and Wizardry? Did I say that right? Um, do you remember what it said? Mr. H. Potter, the cupboard under the stairs. And then the address, the, what is it, number four privet drive or something like that? Harry Potter was not adopted. Harry Potter was despised. Isn't it tempting for us sometimes to, when we think of this language of adoption and family of God, and, and we think, you know, maybe not as, as severe as Harry Potter, but it's really tempting for us to be like, oh, okay. Not really, right? I haven't really seen God as father in my life recently. Paul's response to that is part of this Ephesians 1 crescendo of the glory of God. This is what he says in verses 13 and 14. This is the end. This is how he, he brings this crescendo of praise, this wave of glory of God, wave announcing the glory of God. This is how it crashes, if you will. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the message of your salvation, having believed, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I'm quoting it from a different version of the Bible. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What does Paul say? When you heard the word, when you responded to the word, when you believed in Jesus, you were at that moment adopted you were made an heir. But guess what? The inheritance that you have as, as sons and daughters of, of God, of the Father, is not an inheritance that's just simply waiting for you at the end of time, right? It's not, it's not Harry Potter who, who all of a sudden goes into uh, Gringotts Bank and realizes 
he's got a ton of money, right? It's a deposit that you get the moment you believe. And that deposit is Holy Spirit. What's fascinating is if you stop and think about it, like look at what we did two weeks ago when we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 8. What we said there is that Jesus becomes, was rich and he becomes poor so that by his poverty, we can become rich. And what we saw there was that the riches that Jesus had and the riches that he gives to us were what? Do you remember? It was not material, but it was his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. And in a very similar way, coming from a different angle here, Paul is saying to us that the, the inheritance that we get is given in a deposit, and that's the Spirit. So if the Spirit of God is the deposit, then it stands to reason that the full inheritance is what? It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's relationship with all of them. That's the full inheritance, right? That's the inheritance that we have been given. When, after Jesus made purification for sins, he sat down at the majesty on high. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the sustainer of everything. He's the creator of everything. And and when we put our faith in him, he gives us a down payment of the inheritance that's his. He gives it to us through faith. Yes, hallelujah, amen, right? This is amazing. Now, one other angle that's gonna help us get into our last point, that one of the other ways that scripture talks about this inheritance language is with the language of the kingdom of God. Jesus, if you think about it, there are a couple places where Jesus talks about uh, being heirs of the kingdom or inheriting the kingdom. The kingdom of God is really the reign and rule of Jesus on earth. This is what we pray every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for the kingdom of God to be visible in our earthly world. Uh, And the kingdom is synonymous with God because God is, uh, the kingdom is an expression of, of the king. It's it's who he is. It's what he does. This is why in James 2, James, the brother of Jesus, can say, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who loved him? The New Testament talks about us inheriting God and inheriting the kingdom in almost synonymous ways because while they're not exactly the same thing, there's a lot of overlap in them. And so what we see here, the kind of the main point that we've been driving at is that Jesus shares with us the inheritance that is his, right? Jesus is heir of all things. He becomes heir of all things when? At his Coronation, say it with me, coronation. Jesus is king, y'all, okay? Jesus receives his inheritance at his coronation and he gives it to us, okay? It is his by right. It is not ours by right. We have have no stake in Jesus's inheritance. We can't show up and say, hey, can I have a little bit of your inheritance, please? It is not ours by right until the moment that we are adopted. And then at adoption, it becomes ours by right because we are adopted into the family and we're adopted not to Harry Potter status, right? We're adopted 
as sons. And the reason that language of sonship is important is because in the Greco-Roman culture, it was the son that was the heir. And so by, by Paul picking up that language, he's very clearly communicating that regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, we all have the same status. We are heirs of God and his kingdom. That's the first point. That's the second point. Now the third point. Jesus through us shows the world the beauty of the kingdom that we have inherited. There are lots of ways that Jesus makes his rule known on earth. One of the ways that Jesus makes his rule known on earth is through you, his church. Don't believe me? Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is this really fascinating passage because what it does is it brings together uh, the idea of inheritance, the idea of throne, and the practical outworking of what it looks like to be God's people. Uh, So let me read the passage for us again. When the Son of Man, I'm going to read it and kind of comment as we read through it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, we saw that already, right? Jesus has, has glory being and uh, the, the works of God are, are integral to who he is. So when the Son comes in glory, glory that's his, the glory of God, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Coronation, monarch, ruler of everything. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheeps on the right hand. He'll put the goats on his left. Uh, And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. Inheritance, the language of heir, the language of, of what is rightfully yours now, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What's the inheritance? The kingdom. Right? So remember what we said. The exaltation of Jesus is his, his uh, resurrection, ascension, being made king, and judge of all things. And in this passage, it's all coming together for us. Okay? Now, what happens next is that he begins to explain to us how he determined who his people are. Now, it'd be real easy for us to get tripped up here and think, oh, okay, so what he's saying is that you're saved by doing certain things. That's not what he's saying, right? We, we become heirs of the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, amen? All right. Now, what happens is when we have faith in Jesus Christ, certain things begin to happen. What are those things? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The lives that we live that do not just these things, but certainly these things and other things like these, the lives that we live are signs that say this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the inheritance that, that, that belongs to Jesus. He's the heir of all things. He gives it to us. We get a deposit of that. What does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to be in relationship to God? It looks in part like these things. The reason I remembered this passage, this is my David's Harp story. The reason I remembered this passage is because this week on Wednesday, uh, I went into that room. That's the, that is the current David's Harp office. Uh, and I went into that room and I had a conversation with Brandon uh, and, his, uh, and his wife. 
we were talking about the, the collection that we're doing. Uh, and in the midst of that conversation, he stopped and said, hey, can I ask you to pray for something? I was like, oh, of course. So he told me about this young man who was supposed to be released from prison, teenager who was supposed to be released from prison on Wednesday. Uh, and unfortunately, there's no bed, there was no bed available for him on Wednesday in order for him in the foster care system in order for him to be able to get out. And so as a result, he was going to have to stay in prison longer. Uh, and, and, I, uh, and I don't even know, he might still be in prison for all that I know. Um, but he, there was no bed available for him on Wednesday. And so he was, as, you can, as, as I can only imagine, right, he was, he was an emotional wreck. And so Brandon told me, will you please pray? Because two, this was the, the, uh, the warden of the jail had said that two of the David's Harp employees could come to the prison and take him out of jail to lunch, then bring him back to the jail. Now, Brandon said, like, that's unheard of, that they would do that. But because of the relationship, right, because week in and week out, David's harp goes to prison and visits these kids and builds a relationship with the, with the, 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 the warden and the officers and the kids, there's this trust that's been developed. And so as a result, they were willing to, uh, to do this. That's kingdom of God. You understand? Like that's, that is the kingdom of God. That is the inheritance that we have been given by the father being displayed so that two godly men could go and have a conversation with this kid and help him deal with the emotional roller coaster that he had to be facing on that particular day. And so here's the tragedy of, of that situation is that that's not an isolated incident. According to what Brandon told me, that kind of thing happens all the time, right? Because, I mean, let's just be real, right? Foster care for teenagers is hard. Teenagers are not wanted in many foster care environments. Everybody wants cute little kids and okay. But imagine not only being a teenager, being, being having a record. I told Brandon, I was like, I don't know who, I don't know how to fix this, but I think the church can fix this. Or at least the church can do something about this, right? Because that's the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, that we have been given all of these riches. We have been given the God of heaven and earth, that we have been made his heirs, and he wants us to share the inheritance that we've been given by him uh, with this world. That's why we love David's harp. But more importantly, that's why we love Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you and ask that you would please help us uh, to grasp, as Paul says, the, the height and breadth and width and length of the love that you have given to us. We ask that you would please help us uh, to uh, be able to, to fully own the inheritance that you have given to us. And we praise you that your son Jesus is king, that he rules over all, and that you have made him heir of all things for us. Uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.